Hi, I'm April. I'm Freddie. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lore is the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Fine. April, would you like to introduce, introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Uh, my name is April. Um, I am a park ranger. I'm also Jim's wife and the mother of his child. And I don't really have anything to plug, uh, but anyone is feel, can feel free to follow me on Twitter. I'm at April Soar, like the dinosaur, not like I'm sore. You got, you got to snap that up, though, just in case, you know what I mean? Oh, wow. I didn't think about that. Cause right, like you got you, you got to make sure that your brand is intact. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really. You got to get on that. Unfortunately, my brand is uh is also the brand of many other women. The sort of hybrid dinosaur. Yeah, thing it going. is not uh, original. Where did that come from? Um, so the reason why my that's my name is because yeah, like yeah. a super long time ago. Um, this is probably like fifteen years ago when I was like in my early twenties. I used to have this t-shirt that made it look like it, it, it had like a dinosaur on the front, but just from the neck down. So it made me look like I had a giant head of a, I was the giant head of a dinosaur. And I was at a party with some friends and my friend Erica was like, April sore. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is a fine internet handle. And she called me that for years. So good yeah i didn't know that about you yeah well there's still some there's still some stories that i haven't told <laughs> still some mystery left that's right despite having been in isolation together for the past six months mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah my name is freddie wong uh uh the world's greatest internet superstar has been here to rock <laughs> your face i do podcasts at the moment i also do a lot of film television stuff you may know me from the rocket jump youtube channel the freddy w youtube channel as it was called back in the day i also do a podcast called dungeons and daddies which is about four dads from our world flung into the forgotten realms and a quest to rescue their lost sons the dungeons and dragons podcast that is not a bdsm podcast despite what the title implies <laughs> and i also do another podcast called story break where we break uh my co co-hosts matt arnold and will campos and i uh, the team behind Video Game High School, we try and come up with a movie idea every episode based on ridiculous prompts. This most recent one, we just did, uh, we just recently did an Among Us feature film. And uh, this one coming up here, we just did uh, the Monster Mash as a as a dance movie. So wow. that's that's me in a nutshell. That sounds awesome. It does sound good. It's a very, it's a very silly podcast. And it's so much harder and I just want to do more podcasts where it's less about trying to do a tightrope walk of trying to break a, you know, a script and come up with that on the fly and more chatting about topics. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the only place on the internet. It is the only one. So it's why. Hello. You came to the right place. Welcome. Are we, are we ready <laughs> to do some topics? Yes. Never been more ready. All right, Freddie, your first topic is burger opinions. All right. So I, I don't actually know. Where, where are you folks right now? Uh, we're in California, the the Bay Area. Bay Area. So I have one of the things that I've done in my life is I've created a Google Maps and I've added places to it based on um, recommendations. Either I find online or I ask people on Twitter and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of gather stuff. These are basically little star points and I have them populating basically the entire world. And these are all places that I want to eat at eventually. So... It's a fantastically useful thing if you travel at all and you just find yourself somewhere, you pull up Google Maps and you're like, hey, I'm right next to this place, which I marked some years ago. And I don't know why I want to check it out, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I want to go there. Up in the, the Bay Area, all of my stars are ice cream places in the <laughs> Bay Area because I think uh, ice cream is great up there and not as good down here. Where are you? Um, I'm, in Los An- I'm in Los Angeles. Now, the thing that Los Angeles has going for it is, you know, if, if Chicago has hot dogs and deep dish pizza, uh, if New York has not deep dish pizza uh, and Italian food, if Cincinnati has bad chili, I'm sorry, Cincinnati, but let's you know, let's just let's just call it like it is. I didn't realize that was Cincinnati's um, thing. Their regional food is uh, I think they call it like uh, five way chili, which is basically just chili and spaghetti. Now, listen, I love chili and spaghetti, but 
it's it definitely feels a little bit like this is it huh this is your thing and it doesn't it, here's why here's why it feels weird is because thin thin crust pizza i get it like new york is gonna fight with other places and you know and you might you might get into a debate about new new york versus you know uh new haven and the and the pizza there and it's like other places do it or, or you know like chicago hot dogs i get it there's plenty of places to do hot dogs you know there's uh we have a fight for it nowhere else does just chili and spaghetti. So you've kind of won that by default. You know what I mean? That's like saying like your your place, like the best thing you do is like a really weird specific thing. Like, well, okay, but it's, sure. I'm, I'm sure it's great, but come on. There's no competition. How do you know it's really the best? Yeah. Los Angeles's thing, if it has a thing, would be, I would, I would argue as a city identity food thing would be hamburgers, like burgers. So different types of burgers. The various approaches, you know, you have the, you have your in and out, your sort of fast food burger as like the baseline. But then you have, you know, a lot of restaurants do these, you know, fancy schmancy gourmet burgers and you have like these, you know, hole in the wall spots. And so burgers definitely to me feels like LA's thing. And I have a lot of opinions about burgers because I think generally people make bad hamburgers. And and I include a lot of these places down here. So I want to ask you folks, what is is there is there like a a burger place? Could be fast food, could be anything. Um, up up that that up there that you're that you're fans of. I, I like all burgers. Jim so loves I'm the opposite burgers. of the person who thinks that most burgers are bad. He's got some White Castle burgers in the freezer right now. No, I ate them. No, yeah, I want I want to be clear. I want to be clear. A a bad burger is still a good burger. Uh, really? yes. That's what's the best part. <laughs> that's, that's the best part about That is a very good part about a burger. Even like one you're like, "Ugh, it's still pretty dang great." But that being said, I think there's a big range in terms of like the philosophy and approach. And like what is the perfect burger for you? I actually really like fast food style burgers more than it's I agree. almost a different cuisine where I agree. you get the really thin flat patties versus the the thick ones that you get in more higher end restaurants. Yeah. Mm-hmm, Lately mm-hmm. we've been both really digging the uh Wendy's pretzel burger, pretzel bun burger with the oh. beer cheese. Yeah. It's oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. good. It's a God, good one. Pretzel buns are so illegally good. <laughs> the thing, yeah, and the thing about burgers also is that it's it's a type of food where they're true. It's it truly runs the gamut, and you really can have an, an, an honest to god debate between a fast food burger versus something that you might even get at a high end, you know, steakhouse restaurant type of place, some sort of you know gourmet thing. And I, I'm I, and I'm with you by the way. I think that nine times out of ten, the more sort of hole in the wall fast food place does a better burger. And I think it comes down to it's the it's the mix of utility, like the hand holdiness of it, because I think a lot of times half the time when you get it from a restaurant, you need a fork and knife. And mm-hmm. the thing is like oh, leaking yeah. juices everywhere. And it's so tall. It's They have to take a, a, you know, a skewer to kind of pop it through with the little like those little bamboo things with a little twisty tie at the end just to hold it together. Like structurally, structurally, that thing is unsound. And I think that one of the considerations of the hamburger is the handheld aspect or the rather the potential for a handheld aspect for it. And I think that in the same way, like, you know, we think about that for pizza, right? We think about, yeah, oh, in New York slice, you can fold it. And then, you know, Chicago slice, you're using a fork and knife. But there is a consideration for how you manipulate it that I think a lot of places that do fancy burgers just don't even think about. They're just like, well, we're just going to use very nice ground chuck and a nice thing. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't want this. I want this to melt. And also, you know, I, I don't want this to be, I only unhinge, I want to unhinge my jaw to be able to get this down my gullet. Right. Because the thing about a burger is I want a bit of everything that's on that burger in every bite. Agreed. Yes. And it, it's it's just like a good burrito, right? By the way, yes. I think the burrito, I think tacos are better in LA. Burritos are better in San Francisco. Interesting. And I'll, and I'll fight that one. Interesting. Uh, but it comes down to that exact thing because there's a lot of places in LA where the impulse is to go sort of like the Chipotle method, which is a huge tortilla, a lot of stuff. And a good burrito, just like a good burger, right? Like you want a micro, you want a fractal effect when it comes to this food. You want each bite to be representative of the thing as a whole, just like a fractal. You can zoom in to the smallest component. It looks exactly the same as it, and it when you zoom all the way out. So up there, by the way, Super Duper Burgers, fantastic up in uh, uh, San burger. Francisco. I do like that one. I like In-N-Out a lot. In-N-Out's like a good baseline. Now, In-N-Out's a divisive one, though. Ugh, I don't like In-N-Out. 
Their burgers are like fine, but they're not good. But their fries are actively gross. So like In-N-Out's an interesting one because In-N-Out sort of has become this emblematic California thing, right? It it, it sort of represents... It's got the palm trees on it. It's Uh got the palm trees. It's the classic cars. It's the waiting in line for a while, like, thing. It's the, like, waiting in line for 45 minutes for a shitty burger. Yeah, everybody wants it because it's so good. it's so gross. Now see, I would now see, I would say this. I see. So, In and Out to me, I classify In and Out as like what I call a clean burger. It's a burger that has a very presentable, clean, austere, like built appearance. And there's not a lot of those. So, so like the opposite of that is I would call a dirty burger, a place like Five Guys in the in the fast food chain thing. Oh a place man, like I love burger. me some Five Guys. I forgot about Five Guys. We haven't been there since the pandemic started. We could go to Five oh, Guys. Hey, nothing stopping ya. <laughs> Except for the baby asleep in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the, that's what the, isn't the myriad of food delivery apps? You oh, know, that's what the. That's true. Yeah. Uh-huh. But like, so the, of the clean burger thing. Yeah. I'm just like, in and out to me is like, it's like, it's fine. It's, I, th- I think, I think that, I think that you can get the in and out thing at a lot of places and you know it's not exemplary it's not like something that i'm like ooh, i have I, I, it's it, it is a burger that you have a craving for people will definitely have that but, I, but for me you know i think in and out was something that i went to in college a lot i went down to school down here and it was like the special thing especially because i went to usc and at the time there was just no in and outs nearby because in and out there was an in and out by ucla and that was like forever the needling point of that school over usc was well we got an in and out near our campus but then i noticed after college my in and out consumption dropped pretty much right away. But you know what has stayed pretty much the same through my whole life, which I which I know to some degree is like kind of it just it's, it raises an eyebrow in my mind. Uh, my McDonald's like visits still kind of about the same. Like for whatever reason, they managed to not get old for me. I'm not really a McDonald's fan either. Yeah, that Wendy's we always go to. Oh, right next to a McDonald's, we never go to the McDonald's. So so here's the thing about McDonald's is that. McDonald's has a very specific smell to it, which, you know, is like manufactured in like New Jersey or something. A hundred percent. Yes. And I don't like it. So if that smell doesn't trigger like a nostalgia hit for you, then McDonald's is not for you. Yeah. I think for me, it still does. Like there's something about it that, you know, it was the tree that as a kid, they managed to coast off of nostalgia alone. For sure. And like I get that, that. That smell, as far as I know, like, am, am I right here? I'm remembering that they started adding that to their fries after they stopped making the fries in beef tallow. Yeah, they had, they had to stop cooking their fries in fat. <laughs> now, see, there is a place down here in um, in SoCal, in LA here, called Burgers Never Say Die. And their shtick is essentially, you can come in here and get the original McDonald's cheeseburger and fries. Like, as it would have been made, fries still cooked in beef tallow. They're basically doing that, and it's and it's uh it's really good. And you know what? You're like, it, it's one of those things where you try it, and you're like, I get how this, I get how someone tasted this, and the and was like, this needs to become a national thing. Yeah. Like this is like, I get it, you know. Um, but I think there's nothing more quintessential than than a burger. And and by the way, to me, my favorite fast food burger, and this is kind of a weird one because there's not one near me. But uh, I I on a road trip, I was introduced to Culver's, which is a Midwestern chain. Which I think the closest one to us would be in Arizona. And Culver's Culver's is really good. Like Culver's to me is like a Midwestern In and Out. They're like a Midwestern In and Out if with a and if Dairy Queen had its way with In and Out, and this was the baby that came out uh, would be a Culver's. Yeah, and so so to me, the rules of, of a burger are very simple. Number one, the hand ability, the mouth hinge, you know, needs needs to not be excessive. Uh-huh. Two, <laughs> the the order of ingredients is important. Oh yeah, you know, I think I think anybody who knows understands the physics of a burger knows that you don't put the lettuce on the top. Like the lettuce needs to go on the bottom bun because that's going to act as a barrier for whatever meat juices are going to be leaking through and it keeps the bottom bun from losing structural integrity. I think a pickle component is almost necessary, some sort of sour component into it, you know, and listen, I, I respect people who you know don't like pickles or whatever, but you know, I think that when you look at the microcosm of a burger, like it needs the full... It needs the full flavor profile. It needs to have... And also, burgers, one of the weird things about burgers, I don't want your fancy cheese on this burger. I don't think you need some crazy, fancy, weird Swiss that you're finding. You know I mean, like, sometimes... I think sometimes the best cheese on a burger is really shitty government processed or, like, just artificial cheese because there's a texture that it imparts. Oh, yeah. And a greasiness yeah. that American imparts. American cheese is delicious. Yeah, no, American cheese is, like, 
it's got a bad rap because poor people eat it, but like it is, it's really good. And it works really well. Melts great. If you don't like pickles, you could probably use like a, like a slice of lime. Oh my gosh. No, those (laughs) do not impart the same flavors at all. These are burger. These are burger crimes. These are burger (laughs) crimes now, but you know what? I will say in the spirit of just trying things out, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. Before we move on from... From the order of ingredients, I, I remember there was a one of the burger emojis from some obscure phone. The way they rendered the burger put a slice of tomato between the cheese and the burger. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And that's how you know, by the way, that they, they farmed that one out to a graphic designer overseas for the lowest right. bidding. <laughs> right, where they don't have cheese. <laughs> Right away, I'm like, ah, 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 I see right through this. This is this is the kind of thing that you know. Remember, in, like in Glorious Bastards, the scene with like the, the th- ordering three, and he puts up the wrong. Uh, oh yeah, he puts up his thumb instead of. Yep, or doesn't put up his thumb rather, and yep, right there. That's that's the way we tell. <laughs> my, basically, all this is to say that my secret uh, belief is that if things go all to hell, uh, I think that I can relocate to another country and start an American style burger chain and do it pretty good. Yeah. And you should. You should. As soon as as get soon as they America. let you leave. Yeah, as soon as you can. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's unlikely to get much better. It's true. That's true. But you know what? Listen, this is this is my thought on this. Either you believe in and want to fight for democracy or you don't. That's fine either way. You know, everyone yeah. as a free country, you can go either way. But and this is just this is just me speaking here. If you don't believe in it, then I think you should have enough conviction in your beliefs to be like, all right, you're arming up. You're going to, it's time to do armed revolution. If you don't believe in the democracy anymore, then the next logical step is overthrow an armed resolution, right? If you're not willing to follow up on that, if you're not willing to go that far, then I don't, then I posit that you actually don't really uh, hold that belief. You hold an in-between belief. I, I gotta say, I, the past couple of months have definitely convinced me that Democrats should be armed. Democrats are arming themselves at incredibly high numbers right now. Yeah, the, the, and the thing, and the thing that like was again, I, you know, like um, I, I quite enjoy target shooting. I, and so I have a, I have a, I own a gun. I like target shooting. You know, it's like it's just fun. You know, and and but I will say this: I have no illusions about like again. Freddy versus in in an armed revolution. Freddy loses that every time, <laughs> every single time. Almost everyone loses. <laughs> I I lose that. Freddy versus you know oh the U.S. military. Freddy, I are you kidding? Freddy loses that one every time too. Uh, Freddy versus a, almost anybody. Ninety nine out of a hundred. But I will say this: Freddy versus not a professional trained militia. You know whatever. Uh, you know what Freddy has on his side thing called video game skills my friend and that is going to be the tiebreaker do you realize how many cheap call of duty tactics i have ingrained into my existence over years of time spent in the sims as they say in the simulations as it were the sims (laughs) i'm going this is my plan i'm gonna camp i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna wall hack i'm gonna do i I know all the tricks i know all the tricks that's the one thing that nobody expects is that that gamer knowledge (laughs) of how to cheat it oh you you think i'm not gonna be faking my death in the corner there ready to just pop up like a jack-in-the-box like ready to go and then go right back to faking my death the cheapest camping tactics you can come up with counter-strike taught me that the way to win is not by playing fair and competitively it's by what are the cheapest tactics you can do and that's the only way that i have an edge in anything that's how we won the revolutionary war exactly they didn't even have gunner strike back then. You think you think you think uh, <laughs> you think George Washington wasn't wouldn't have been a gamer? <laughs> God. Think about that. Chew on that one. The Revolutionary War soldiers were they were gamers, the original gamers. Our founding fathers were gamers. Game in the system. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yes. I've wasted your I've wasted your time. No, this is this is uh, this is what this podcast is all about. Yeah, this is uh, this is topic lords, Freddie. Welcome. <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's go. April, your topic is revisiting Breath of the Wild. That is my topic. Um, so I started playing Breath of the Wild again, probably like I don't know, like three weeks ago. This is my third play time playing it. The first time I played it, I played like a really long time, but I never finished it. 
And then the second time I played it, I did finish it. Um, That was probably like a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now. And I've just been like thinking a lot about Breath of the Wild. First of all, have you played Freddy? So I have to admit here, I've played 15 minutes of it and just did, it did catch on. It just didn't catch on for me. You just got to that vista where you leave the cave and see the mountains. Exactly, that are like, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, that is an iconic moment in the game. You you got you got to have that like ah, and that was maybe uh, just good enough go for to you. These, I don't want to go to these mountains. I got my iPad and the promise of unlocking a map gradually and learning spells and and stuff and all that just it just didn't grab me you know and that's you know it should be that's just that's fine right yeah it's totally fine that happens to me all the time with games but yeah um i really enjoy this game um and i decided to play it again i was recommended by uh alex who's been on this podcast before a couple episodes Um, ago i think yeah uh, recommended on Twitter a while ago when I was like saying like, Hey, I'm looking for like recommendations for like, you know, open world games that are about like exploration, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, you should just play breath of the wild again and play it without using the map. Oh, interesting. So that is largely what I've been doing. And so I basically have some kind of like, not rules, I would say because rules are boring, but kind of guidelines for myself for this playthrough. And, and that is that like, when I want to go places, I either use a horse or I run there. <laughs> That's a very American truck simulator style approach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, one of the advantages of this is that it removes any sort of like sense of that you're filling out a checklist from the game. Yeah, and you're yes. Just, you're just in the place. Yes. And so, you know, and... I kind of, so you can teleport places um, and I'm doing very little teleportation. Occasionally I do it a little bit if I get like super stuck somewhere. Like that happened to me in the in the beginning of the game. I like went down this cliff and I had like just one wheel of stamina and there was like no way to get back up it. And I was just <laughs> no. like, well, I'll just teleport, you know? And so I'm not like trying to be like really... Uh, like militant in my rules, you know, but like the idea about this is that I want this to like feel as immersive as possible and really be about exploration and really also be about like learning the landscape and learning how to like move about the world, like just using landmarks and using, and using the compass. And it's been incredibly fun. I think this might be my favorite game. Interesting. Like ever. It's up there. (laughs) So that genre of game, that sort of broad, like open world, single player, sort of RPG-esque kind of collection progression kind of game. I've always kind of like my brother loves it. I've always bounced off of it. And and every myriad form that shows up in like, you know, the Fallout, uh, sorry, the um like the fall, like Fallout to an extent is that Far Cry definitely is is it's its own flavor of that. The Assassin's Creed games. It's just there's something about it that just doesn't Elder Scrolls. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I will say one thing that was there's a notable exception to that, which is uh Witcher 3, which at at first glance would look just like any of the Far Cry games, right? Yeah. yeah. Witcher 3 somehow it got me and I and I loved all the aspects of it. And I think it had something to do with the way those those um those gameplay loops integrated into, you know, probably some of the best just cinematic video game writing, period. Right. And and I and there was just something about the feeling of this, you know, I think that the, that the world had a very it felt less like here's the checkpoints, you know, to, 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 to what you were talking about, like sort of feeling like checkpoints. It felt like less about those checkpoints and more about, yeah, this is the town and this is and it felt lived in in a way that 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 sort of that that world, that property also in the books as well cover. It's it just something about that was different. And most recently, the other one that was sort of similar in that way was, believe it or not, uh, SnowRunner. If you've if you've played those games, I haven't heard of it. So SnowRunner is a trucking game, sort of a little bit like American Truck Simulator, but imagine smaller maps and it's really just about point A to point B hauling materials to repair bridges and stuff like that. And what I thought was really interesting about that was that game makes it 
all about getting from point A to point B is hard. You get stuck in mud. You need to winch yourself out. It's like, a, you know, it's like Ice Road Truckers, the game a little bit. And that actually kind of worked for me too, where it was, inst- and, it, and it, it, it did what you're doing with your Breath of the Wild playthrough, which is it doesn't let you fast travel. Like you need to plan your route out and you need to say, okay, I'm going to bring three things here. I got to make sure to pick up a trailer to fill up all these on these, on these goods. And oh, when I have the trailer, I'm going to weigh out more. So I'm going to take a different path. I'm going to make sure my tires are right. And it can take you 40 minutes just to get across the map. And when you say you're, we're winching yourself out, are you getting out of the truck and like, so that is a, that is an automated thing. So when you press, it's a button press and it'll take, uh, you know, in world points. So it doesn't, so it isn't like a, in the real world. So let me tell you, I, I've had to winch myself out of some situations yeah. and it's not fun. <laughs> but that hyper realism and like forcing you to do the travel really changes the pace and feel of a game. So I was curious, like in your playthrough now in this way, like, does it feel different? Does like, does your sense of space in the game, how does that change and different from your it first playthrough? It feels so different. The world feels so much bigger. Interesting. Because... I remember my the first time I played through, there was a huge sense of like disappointment the last when I got the last um Chica Tower, which is like what opens up like the different um sections of the map. Because I was like, well now I don't have any more exploring to do. Which is completely ridiculous because you know, there's like there's so much exploring to do. But because I had like unlocked all of the map, I was just like, well, now like I was, I remember like distinctly feeling disappointed and right now I'm just doing towers. If I happen to like be near one and it's easy to do, I think I've gotten five of them and I've been playing for like three weeks. I'm, you know, I'm playing like pretty much at least an hour a day, almost sometimes two. And so I've gotten five. I think there's still like eight to go. (laughs) So to, to what extent have you found that you spatially plan out things in advance now, now that you know it's a it's a task to like get from point A to point B. Like, is there that sort of, you're sitting there at the map and be like, okay, when I go over here, I'm going to make sure I do this and this. And you start, like, how are you thinking about- So I don't about, look at the map. Oh, that's right. That's right. You don't have the map even. Wow. I mean, it's there. Like, so, I mean, I could look at the map and I, I very occasionally do look at the map, but for the most part, I'm like, well, I need to go to Hateno. I'm pretty sure that's Northeast. <laughs> you know like i know it's east of that mountain so i'm gonna go that way you know what's an experience that you can have now that i think i have not done since probably the king's quest games is the experience of having a piece of paper and drawing a map and labeling things as a kid to me was such a big part of how I interacted with games. I remember the desert very specifically. It's like a weird sense memory, but the dead, there's a desert section in King's quest five where you have to tra- traverse into the desert and, and find this. I think it was kind of like a little riff on the, the, the alley, Alibaba and the 40 thieves. You know, there's a cave of treasure and there's a whole thing you have to find there. And it's also one of those. And it's also of course, be, being a King's quest game and being sort of this early uh, uh, example, of this early game design. There's also this thing where it's like, you need to make sure you find a boot in the desert because later on, if you don't have the boot, it's, you can't stop this cat. And you're just like, well, crap, I guess I need to have a boot from the desert. Um, <laughs> you know, like those hard stop trolley kind of like, like come on, really? Like, yeah. okay, sure. Which is, you know, it, it's almost like, I just I just love that stuff. It's just how hilariously non sequitur they were. So I remember as a kid being like, wow, this, and what was crazy to me was like, I didn't have, I had the, I had the logical sort of mind to be like, I'm going to draw out a map. I didn't have the logical mind of being like, oh, and here's how you can do that methodically and in the way that you will be able to see everything i was just you know because you, you know what it is because as a kid there was actual fear in these games he was like i, I was afraid of dying so i was afraid of tra- traversing outside the map so i just kind of like put some i marked some things like randomly on this little grid that i had made and it turned out unbelievably that like i had marked like three places totally right from sheer chance like the location of oases and stuff like that in this desert but yeah like that experience you know i think it's been replaced by the use of wikis around games, right? Like Minecraft is not a game that exists without a wiki. And I, and I would even argue to an extent, some of these open world games, it's not game FAQs and these sort of ASCII text maps. It's like, it's these Wikipedia pages that compile the information around it. And I don't know, I just feel like we've lost something without the idea of pulling out a piece of paper and having to do it. One of the ideas that I have for, it's not even a, a game idea, it's a kind of a more of a mechanic idea, is just a game that where the player has to draw a map 
in order to get through an environment. Like, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. rare that a game makes you do that nowadays. Even even a game that makes you like that gives you like a mouse pointer, like a map in the game that you click on to draw. Like Etrian Odyssey? As, well, so much... Well, one, the technology also has a problem. Like, I remember when Mist, Like, Mist came with a little booklet for you to, like, make journal notes in, right? And the last game that I remember doing anything remotely like this was The Witness, where I had my phone out like a madman. I Like, <laughs> my gallery, if you go through my, like, iCloud, and, like, that time period The Witness was out, like, it's just, like, two weeks of photos of my tv like it's ridiculous and i was like you know because i started drawing and i was like oh wait i have i have a literally a device that will do this for me but i do think you lose something with that and because it because and it gets exactly to what the way you're playing this breath of a wild playthrough which is you lose when you make it a checkbox when you make the tasks in the game convenient and conducive to the player there's there's something gained which is the convenience and the feel of it but you also lose this weirder sort of meta like third level thing that i just can't describe and it's it it saddens me sometimes to think about because it just was a different way that i related to the game universe that wasn't that was outside the mouse the keyboard the joystick the gamepad or whatever right it was this thing yeah it transports you right yeah it's like reading a book except that everything is drawn for you so I think it's important to to like, and you can't really know the distinction here, but like a lot of what's lost is that you're not a kid anymore. That's true too. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but I do also think that like a lot of this can be approached via game design. Like you were talking about how the way you took notes in The Witness was by taking photos with your phone. It's totally possible to design puzzles and I say that without actually thinking it through to make sure that it is, but I'm like, without thinking it through, I'm pretty sure it's possible to design puzzles where you can't take notes that way. Sure. You, yeah. Where yeah, you yeah. have to actually like write things down or like, I, I, um, I played Fez with my sister. Oh yeah. yeah back yeah. when that game was launched. And that was a game that is very, um, note takey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, fan- fantastic, uh, like, Playing that game with someone who was not really games literate, but someone who was puzzle literate was a was a very, very fun experience. Yeah, I played Fuzz with you quite, for quite a bit of time. Okay, I don't remember that. <laughs> That's funny. Well, definitely we did. Okay. Um, and until it got really hard. Oh, yeah. Until And then I was just like, well... I'm not going to keep playing this game. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, sure. That's understandable. <laughs> but I really liked it at first. Yeah. Well, you know what comes down to me is, is it's just, real, you know what it is? It's, it's the question of if you're designing something for convenience's sake, oftentimes, yeah, it, you know, I get I get the impulse for it because you don't want to piss off your your player. But then sometimes there is there can be fun that is had in inconvenience itself you know and it's like that that's the kind of weird sort of thinking that i wish that i think by the way the best kind of weird game designers do you know i think that to an extent like kojima thinks about that you know that's the whole point of like getting over it sure y- yes exactly 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 <laughs> I, I think and that what the maybe the trick nowadays is that people will only take that inconvenience in one aspect of their game yeah, like because I've talked about I've, I've I've asked people on Twitter like okay hey guys what's the what's the best game you can think of where you have to draw maps? Yeah, 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 yeah. They all were like listing games from the eighties. Yes, and yes. like yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. I don't want that much in I don't want to go back to you yeah. know that that uh, era of game design. I, I just want this, this one thing. I think that might be a generational thing too. I think that it might yeah, be. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. That like, because games graphics have changed so much in the last twenty years, that people who are younger than even thirty have never needed to draw a map. Yeah, because the yeah, game it does it first. for them. Right, but I think that the nostalgia that you're talking about is just is mo- is largely. So you 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 played D and D for a while. Yeah. Did you draw maps while playing D and D? Did I personally? Did any of your any of the players? Uh, not of the no, not of where we were. Um, okay. Occasionally, our DM would like because would draw like, like the dungeons and right. stuff. I seem to remember that being a thing that even the players, like certainly the DM 
if they're making their own campaign, will draw maps. Yeah. Uh, and they could have that nostalgia, and that's pretty timeless. That's true. Uh, You're right. I, I, I seem to remember, like, some... I seem to remember there being some schools of D&D where the players are also doing mapping. Sure. And I'm sure that, like, I could have. Mm-hmm. It just didn't feel necessary. If you had the necess- cartography bug. It, yeah, it just didn't feel necessary to the experience. To me, it cuts down to something like really primal. And that's the idea of like the, like, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think about the guy who did Katamari Damashi and the fact that he went on to do, to design children's playgrounds, right? As this incredible example of like, let's think about games in terms of how we states of play itself, right? And I think that the thing that is universal about map drawing is it's doodling. It's the idea of like, can you tap into this really basic feeling as a kid, the joy you had of a blank piece of paper? Is there a way that you can recapture that? And that is, and that's not nostalgia, right? In the same way that like, for me, Minecraft had a nostalgia of Lego building, but it still works because there was the joy of like this minute piece by piece building and component sort of thing that felt like it's just, it's just that to me is where games as an art really excels is that it can tap into things like that that are human in 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 the most you know in the most fundamental way that is outside the the reach of things like film and television and books right the actions that that we that define us as and, and define our humanity can you tap into that somehow and that's the kind of stuff that is i think awesome yeah that's a really good point and i think that if i think you can make that game jim I think you can find a way to make that game. And you did to a certain extent with Frog Fractions 2 slash 3. Yeah, I, I Some definitely... Some made, they made maps. And they, they took notes. And they took notes. Yeah. But it is interesting, right? So like the last, and another game I took notes on, Return of the Oberdin, right? Which is, again, explicitly framed as almost an old school game, right? From the graphical presentation. Yeah. And that's that's very much a game about paperwork. Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, I, just that that sort of thing is just like, uh, that's the kind of avenues that excite me when I think about, you know, games as 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 art and what the possibilities of that are, you know, and it's beyond, you know, the feel of a shooter, which is its own thing. But I think that that horizon in the other direction of just the weird off the wall zany stuff, like that to me is why, like, again, why Frog Fractions, all of them are, you know, my some of my favorite game experiences, because there's... There's a willingness to explore these alternative approaches to play that you can't find elsewhere. And to me, is that's what's vital about this as an art form. That's that's really sweet. Thank you. Aw. I played two. It was on a family vacation. It was um that that winter. Oh yeah. Christmas. Christmas. So we were in we were in Miami. There was nothing to do in Miami. Um, and I was with my folks. And so I was just sitting in the corner playing that game. And the amount of times I was like just dumb grin on my face like hands in the air like i can't believe this is the direction it's going and and again the remixing and the and the sort of like deconstruction and re- i was like this is postmodern art in a way that like is that felt like so wild and like dangerous it was just so cool you know and and i think that that like and again to me like the idea of like hiding something in another thing and just like putting it out like it it's it's the kind of thing where anytime some you know an artist expresses themselves and they use the medium themselves itself to create a, a, a space to create a commentary, right? The act of like a steam purchasing a steam thing and looking at the reviews and be like, these are kind of weird reviews. And like, I can't get you know, like <laughs> using. So like, right. That, that game expanded beyond the, the, the executable file you download that game exp- expanded into steam itself. The, the plat, the ubiquitous platform you use to purchase games. It's a commentary itself on like the kind of shovelware that you might expect to see and that you see all the time. And you might have even seen in the past it, that other developers have done. And you're like, Oh, whatever. Who the heck is buying this? Like, that's it's, it's, that's incredible to me. Movies can't do that, right? That's movies true. doesn't. Movies don't get to do that. You can't make a movie and part of the joke and part of the universe is the Netflix screen. You just can't. There's no <laughs> way. Like it's just it's dead. That's the medium. The, the medium is what it is. You go to a theater, you see it. That's the walls for it. That that's that's the kind of shit that I want to see more of, and I wish more people did. Anyway, now that COVID is a thing and theaters aren't a thing anymore, if if you make a new movie, there's a good chance it will be released on Netflix first. You could totally make the next Netflix screen be part of the movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Like, uh, 
Um, can I share with you one of like my very dumb? And I and by the way, I give this to you freely. Please feel free to use it. Like I give this to you freely. Again, I one of the reasons why I can be so like. Uh, candid around game stuff is because I'm not in the games world. Like I in oh, movie sure. stuff. I I have I have just as many opinions about movies, but I don't say it because like there's you know I had the very uncomfortable experience once of saying something about a movie and what and then later on in my career meeting the person responsible for that and they had read that tweet and it was like oh right don't talk about that stuff unless it's very broad uh but games i don't have that problem i can say whatever i want about video <laughs> games because i'm not working in the game space so i'm just as opinionated but anyway i give this to you freely because i, I just the idea of this cracks me up playing games like super meat boy and these sort of you know very nitty-gritty platformers i've always thought how baller of an indie game move would this be would be like hey this game is 4.99 on steam if you can beat this level that and you get one shot at it you get the game for free. But it's double or nothing. If you can't beat this level and you go for it, if you fail, the game is double in price from here on out. It's double or nothing built into the game. If you want it, you can get it. You can get this game for free. But be careful because your hubris might make you pay twice as much. Wow. That's, I like that a lot. That's really fun. <laughs> Because there's some, because there's a certain masochism in oh, yeah. that's built into that. Because it, it to me that just like it it hits at the core of this gamer like I'm good at video games thing. And you and the, and again and and of course the the world of games right now it's like you need to have it be you know streamable because the streamer sub market is how much of games get sold now because a streamer decides to pick it up or a YouTuber tries to pick it up. Right away, right there, it's just like there's a challenge, right? Like you can continue <laughs> to double or nothing this level. And this person, right? You see the video. It's like I made this game charged me $400, right? And that's the thumbnail and you get it, right? And it's oh, <laughs> Anyway, I give that to you for free. I like again, I don't make games, so have it. I just but it's just again, there's a there's the ability to do this sort of performative thing is it's just that's to me that's what it, that's what games can do. And that's the kind of thing that I wish people took more advantage of. Anyway. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I wish I could stream Breath of the Wild. Yeah, they make, they don't make it easy. I feel like it shouldn't be hard. I mean, it's like it's it's to what degree you wish to flaunt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We would need to get you a computer first, mm. and then a capture card mm. to hook up into the computer. Yeah, we we could it, we could do it, but it mm. would be it would be some effort. Yeah, that's okay. I'm I'm gonna pass. <laughs> Are we ready yeah. for the topic? <laughs> yes. Oh, I just wanted to say one more thing about Breath of the Wild. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. The Korok seeds. Um, I don't, you probably never found a Korok when in your playthrough, Freddy, but Koroks are these like tiny little leaf well, beans. Playthrough is a pretty generous. Well, sure. In your, in your, your wander into the world. <laughs> yes. Yes. My brief sojourn. Yes. Um, so they're like these little leaf people that are hiding all over the world. Um, there's 900 of them. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and there's all that's that banjo kazooie like, shit that my brother loves, like the collectathon <laughs> thing. Like he will, if this game was just, yeah, that, I'm sure he has all found all 900 in his playthrough. Well, yeah, I'm I'm certainly not attempting to find all 900 because some of them are incredibly difficult to get. Um, but there are like lots of tiny little different types of puzzles um, surrounding them in order to like find them. Some of the puzzles are just pick up a rock and there's a korok underneath it, and they give you a seed. And some of them are like. You have to shield surf down this rocky mountain really fast and get through a target at the end of the mountain in a certain amount of time in order to receive your seed. So they kind of like run the gamut. But I love the Koroks so much because each one is slightly different. They all have like a leaf for a face and they're all like different leaves. And some of them have like these little wands with berries that jingle. And then like some of them have these little leaves that they hold that like spin around like a little helicopter blade above their head. And so they float and they always say, yaha, you found me. <laughs> and like every time I find a Korok, I smile every single time. <laughs> and it's just That's like Nintendo gets just figures that just got that. Like the yeah. thing of being like doing a thing that just makes you that. Ta yeah. Oh, man. It's so good. And then you can turn those seeded seeds into this guy named Hestu, um, who's like a giant broccoli man, basically. And he has this <laughs> incredible dance that he does with his maracas um, each time you give him a seed. And oh, man, it's so good. It's just so <laughs> cheerful and like childlike and carefree. And the forest children 
just have my soul. Um, and I'm definitely getting a Korok tattoo someday when COVID is done. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be my first video game tattoo. Oh, Ooh, yeah, okay. A, very good. It's a milestone. Yeah. Someday I'll get a Donkey Kong one too. <laughs> the D, just every every lyric from the DK rap across your back, that's going to hurt. It's going to hurt, but you know what? Like That's going to probably be a few. It's going to take a few times. A few sessions, yeah. Do you? Re- the, I would have so much respect for. Could you imagine, like, some buff? Someone takes off their shirt in the back of, uh, and it's just the DK rap. Like the amount of street cred that would get you <laughs> off the charts, or negative one hundred, one or the other. <laughs> it's all or nothing. It's yeah. all or nothing. The double, yeah. I think this is how, like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio can go around in a really goofy outfit. And still is attractive, and everybody's like, "Oh man, he's really, uh, really rocking that goofy outfit." But like, if I go around in a goofy in a goofy outfit, it's just like, "What are you doing, man?" <laughs> I don't know. I think you're more attractive than Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay, all right. All right. Leo doesn't really do it for I'll me. I'll take it. <laughs> no, I'll take it anyway. Okay, like, I'll I'll accept this yeah. compliment. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> hey, Jim. Are you ready for another topic? I am. Uh, so my topic is taking a taking care of a kid for eight hours a day is making me doubt my chronotype. So when COVID started, April's work had her stay home for it was months, wasn't it? I mean, sort of. Like so, for the first like month or so, uh, I was working two days a week. Um, so we we really reduced our our staffing while management figured out how to handle COVID. And then after that, um, because our daycare was closed, we took advantage of the uh, estate program called the FF Care Act, which is like the Family's First Coronavirus Relief Act, I think is what it is. And because our daycare was closed and Jim was working full-time on his game, uh, we made a case that we should get basically paid by the state to take care of our kid. And we got to do that until our daycare opened. And then my work was like, well, sorry, the rules are you got to come back to work. And, and we were like, what, August 1st? Something yeah, like that? August 1st. Which is why I shipped the game right around then. Yeah. Wow. And so we were like, well, we don't want to send our kid to daycare because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And that's a great way to catch a bad virus and maybe die yeah um so we were just like let's see if jim can take care of winston all day yeah yeah and so that five this days been, a week <laughs> this has been my new full-time job is being a stay-at-home dad and it is very fulfilling i really enjoy being around my son but it is making like i'm working on a, a patch for the game that adds a bunch of new features and trying to figure out how to promote this thing and It'll, it'll the patch will be out by the way by the time this episode airs so like you might as well go go check out what i did um, <laughs> but i am not able to work at the pace that i was when i w- didn't have this additional full-time job right right like right. I, a lot of my attention is elsewhere yeah um and on top of that because winston gets up at 8 a.m i am now getting up at 8 a.m Whereas I used to sleep from like 2 to 11. That was my normal schedule. Yeah, like two, yeah, yeah. Going to sleep at around 2 a.m. So for the first time in our entire relationship, we're going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time. <laughs> Which is really nice. It is. I, I would, if I, if I had the option, I would definitely still go back to 2 to 11. I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, since I don't... It's it's a it's really nice. It's that 11, 11 p.m. to two a.m. is that productivity witching hour because no one's like right like most people are reasonable people are falling asleep so you get a little bit of time to really just crank on something. Yeah, yeah. no one's gonna no one's gonna interrupt me. Yeah, because yeah. I'm usually asleep at that point, you know, from about eleven on. So it's been it's been a huge change for us in terms of the sleep schedule stuff. Yeah, and just like routine and stuff, you know, because like largely. For most of Winston life, I was I've been his primary caregiver, and then for about six months he was in daycare. Like I went back to work, and he was in daycare. And then the pandemic started, and then we were like, "Well, I guess we take him out of daycare." And so Jim is, you know, he's been doing this for like two months now, and you're doing an excellent job. Oh, good. I'm glad you can tell. <laughs> now let me let me ask you this: Do you, uh, have you found like how has your exposure to the sun been? 
Bust than before, more than before. More, for sure. Because Winston wants to be outside all the time. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, everyone, it's as far as I can tell, like, that's super good. Like, vitamin D, like, that's a, hey, thumbs up all around, vitamin D. Turns out we need it. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it turns out that, like, taking vitamin D supplements doesn't actually help, so. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a great way to do it. It involves sun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not even sun for that long each day. I think it's like 30 minutes. Yeah, right, it's like right, really, right. and it's like, if you, and it's, it's like, yeah, and if you're wearing shorts, like, good, nice. <laughs> yeah, sleeping is weird. Like, sleep schedules are pretty wild. I, I definitely hit a point where I, I was in the same boat where I was a, you know, a 3 a.m. and then get up at like 11 type of, type of person, but over the last, also, I think it's just getting a little bit older now. Like, I just started to just be like, ah, I think I'm good around one. And then it's like, yeah, I'm up. I'm just up at like nine. Like, not even, I want to sleep in. Are you kidding? I could, oh, I was a sleeping in champion mid afternoon. Amazing. The best I ever did once was came back from a family trip. We were in China, a jet lag so hard. I, a day, a full day gone. Nice. That's wow. got to be some kind of record. Did you get up to pee? I, I I don't remember it, but I probably did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But you also haven't been like super tired or anything. You adjusted quite well. well yeah. And this is, so it was effectively jet lag for a while. Yeah. Um, but this is what I mean when I say I doubt my chronotype. Like, I, it's not like going to sleep at 11 p.m. is a chore. Like, by the time I get to 11 p.m. now, nowadays, I'm exhausted and I want to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the other day, I think it was yesterday, um, I got home from work at like six. <laughs> I was like, hey, how are you? And he, and Jim was just like, I'm tired. And I was like, yeah, it's it's like the end of the day. Yeah. You're tired yeah. at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. And normally Jim would be like, oh, I'm just, you know, uh, just getting into my stride, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas I'm always because just I did like. most of my work like at night. yeah. And and I'm always like exhausted at the end of the day because I've got a pretty physical job most of the time, and you Me know too now yeah you too, yeah. <laughs> um, and so usually like by the time I get home like all right we make dinner and then I and then I become a puddle on whatever surface I happen to to land on you know. <laughs> right. Have you ever done much camping or travel outside like where you're where you're really outside outside. It's funny, like, I, I work in a campground, uh, and I have my entire career as a park ranger at one park or another, been at, yeah. at campground park. And so, that has really um, kind of just, like, soured me to camping. Like, I like oh, the idea of camping, but I don't like the idea of camping in a campground. No, that's fair. I, I only bring it up because one of the things that I found is that, like, the moment you really get away from artificial light and phones, you really adapt quickly to it's dark now. I guess it's time to eat dinner and go to bed. Like it's crazy how quickly that can that can like. And then when you look at the clock, you're like I'm I'm outside, I'm camping, but oh boy, it's I'm going to bed at eight twenty. You know, it's like okay because it's dark. <laughs> like what else am I doing here? It's dark. Like what else? You know. No, I know what you mean though. I, I found that camping really really flips your flips your clock pretty hard. Yeah, I camping is something we want to do more of now that we have a kid because we want Winston to have that experience, but we haven't done it with yeah, him yet. Like I would I would never care enough to go camping if it were just me or probably even me and April, you. Me. Yes. It is uh, I. But I do care enough about my son's upbringing to like, okay, <laughs> for the three of us together, I'll do this. Yeah. And so the thing that we really need to do is do this with my sister because she has all the camping gear. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so then we would only have to like bring the basics. Pro yeah. tip, pro tip, stock up on those YouTube tutorials before you like how to start a fire, how to do the s'more stuff. Download them. Download them, get them ready to go and see, because that way right now... Your king dad, right? Wow, you know how to split a lot. Wow, you know how to start a fire with just two. Wow, look at all this cool stuff. You know what I mean? But secretly, <laughs> right, you're disappearing and loading up a YouTube video where a 12 year old's telling you how to do it. Yeah. I can do the 12 year old's the real things. king dad. It's really funny. Like, in a lot of ways, our, our, we have a lot of like role reversal in our. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. You, pro yeah. Oh, yeah. You're, what am I talking about? You're Park Ranger. You, you got all of this down. 
You got the moss and this way's north? King Mom can definitely <laughs> split, a, split a log. I, sure, I certainly split can. A, split a log? All the, all the various forms of water purification? Yeah, we got, just, we got life straws. We, yeah, I would just use a life straw. <laughs> Which, by the way, like, that was, you know, I, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, right? Like, my, I remember camping was like, when I came down here, I went to school, you know, down, down in Los Angeles, and a bunch of people were like, let's go camping. And I was like, Awesome. I got an external frame backpack. I got my iodine tablets. I got my Tiva sandals. I got my, like, literally, I was like, <laughs> and I looked like I was ready to, because growing up, all of my friends were so hardcore that I didn't realize that that was not the norm. Like, the norm for them, when I would go camping with my friends, the norm was six-hour hike in no contact with any, like, right, like, you're in the middle of nowhere. Be careful of bears, you know, bring a shovel, like, level of, you know, sort of camping. yeah. That's backpacking. <laughs> so when I brought all this stuff, my friends looked at me like, what are you... I'm like, we're going camping, right? Like, yeah, I just bring a duffel bag. I'm like, Yeah, they're talking about car camping. And that, that was the first time I learned about what car camping was. <laughs> Believe it or not. What are the iodine tablets for? That was the old way of water purification back when they were a gross tasting way of doing it. You threw some tang in there to kind of, you know, sort of even it out. But now the life straw is really just just a just a wonderful, just a wonderful invention for that. Yeah, life straws are super cool. Yeah, but it was like compass, signal mirror, just in case, you know, bear stuff. It was, yeah, it was, I look like an idiot. That's so great. Uh, signal mirror. I love it. <laughs> Hey, listen, you never know. I haven't heard that word in a long time. That's great. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is a write-in. Dennis asks, VTubers... I actually don't know what VTubers are, so I looked it up, and apparently this is like a... Is this about vaginas? Uh, <laughs> they don't allow that on YouTube. Oh, this is about YouTube? Yeah. Okay. I, I... Do you know what this is, Freddie? Yes, fascinating. Why don't you explain it? So VTuber is a virtual YouTuber. And so they are, it's sort of, I believe started in Japan. And it was the, they were using things like, like face rig to puppeteer a 3D avatar, like an anime, like an anime girl generally, right? But instead of a streamer personality in front of camera, and here's where, here's, here's my place behind me. It was a virtual avatar. It was a, it was an anime figurine like an anime character talking and and doing all the sort of usual YouTube stuff. Fascinating for a couple of reasons. One in that, uh, you know, I, there was a, there was a moment, like there was a whole weird world of um, virtual influencers for a second, like some weird startup was trying to make a virtual Instagram influencer because theoretically such a thing removes one of the biggest barriers to scaling when it comes to online influencers, which is an online influencer is an entity unto itself, right? But if you could have a team behind it and a team behind a virtual YouTuber and a voiceover actor or a couple of voiceover actors with the same voice or similar voices, and now you can crank out content 24-7 with a whole team, right? Now you can be uh, doing the exact same character, but localized. Now you can scale this thing, right? Th that was a thought from, you know, and, and I think people are still sort of exploring that. Another interesting side effect was of this was recently Pokemane started messing around with this. And that's a person, right? That's not like and that's the... a person. Yeah, she's a big she's a big Twitch streamer, and her reasoning was fascinating. Her reasoning was, look, some I, like sometimes I don't want to get in front of the camera, get all made up, have my appearance be a thing, have everyone be looking at me. Sometimes I just want to play a game and talk over it, and I can do that now without needing to go through the rigmarole of being in front of the camera and still have this personality and go in front of it. It's just it's just fascinating. And, and and by the way, the most Neil Stevenson ass, cyberpunk William Gibson ass shit. That is, yeah. yeah. I was definitely thinking William Gibson. But it's fascinating. And you know and I think that you know, I think that it's one of those things where we I think we're going to see more of as again, I I've talked about this in the past, but I think that the the mental toll of streaming is uh, unsustainable period uh the amount of hours on camera that these folks put themselves through in in the pursuit of essentially being a one person tv studio unsustainable like the human the human brain can't hold it it, it would be nice if like it were possible to make a living doing it with uh, with uh you know a normal work schedule 
Yeah, but but something but the 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 nature of the competition means that it really isn't, right? Because it is a zero sum game of hours, especially in the live setting, of hours of time, right? When you're doing a YouTube video, you can put it up and you can you can don't you don't have to be there in front of it. But you know, you hear stories about oh Ninja took a vacation and he lost X number thousand of his, you know, followers. It's like, okay, now in that environment. Um, the mind has no chance of surviving it. So I think that there's a world where you start to see, you know, more of a community-based sort of thing, perhaps. And also, I think you start to see, you know, people taking advantage of that technology to kind of be able to not, you know, mental load, you know, be able to be somewhere else maybe. And uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the collision path that the streaming sort of environment and the and the economics of it that has set, that people are upon is going to be something that's very interesting because it's going to play out here in the next, you know, few years. And we'll really start to see as people grow up, as people start to move on from existing streamers, this was, this happened in the YouTube side, which I can speak to, to a little more depth. Right. But like, you know, at a certain point, people start watching certain YouTubers and what did those people do? And it was a range of responses to it. Some healthy, some unhealthy, you know, I think you're gonna start to see it in the streaming world, right? It's Twitch. was only a few years after YouTube. And, but I, it's, I think it's really interesting. You know, it's basically if you could be, if you could do the Tupac hologram, but you know, as a, as a Twitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and eventually you're just going to get replaced. Yes, it, there is no such thing as the idea that it, that the replacement thing is a as a reality that I don't think a lot of streamers are thinking about because at the end of the day they're going to appeal to that group of, of people. It's like a wave going through, right? As that group gets older, they may stick around, they may not, but the new group of people before them, they're going to have their own set of streamers or personalities that they follow and they're going to follow them along year by year by year so you pick up the wave around you and you sort of move forward in time with them but at a certain point you're only losing them you're not getting any more that makes that's a really good description i think that i i think that illustrates it really well and the people I found who have been successful are the ones who recognize that it's a wave and the ones who really get into trouble are the ones who are like this will continue on this trajectory forever <laughs> so you talked about um when you put it in the context of like a, a tv studio um this i, I kind of wanted to go on a tangent of the idea of producing a like a really low budget tv like a, like a cg cgi tv show where the all the animation is live puppeteering <laughs> now that's interesting you could you know it, it people the way Pixar makes movies, they have an animator work on a single like scene for a year. But yeah, I, I th so, so I think that you would have to be it would have to be a very talk joke sort of centric. It, yeah, it would it would be have to be very constrained. Like a, you can't be playing off the nuance of expression in mm -hmm. that form for sure. Yeah, I think it's possible. God, yeah, you could. Wild. There's one for your uh, the breakdown podcast. <laughs> make make that work. That's not, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great because you could cast Tupac in it. Uh <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> well, yeah, and you could get. Um, well, you wouldn't even need. I was going to say you could get like two separate people. One person to be the the visual Tupac stand in, and one person to be the the voice. But you don't even need the visual one because that's CG. So I have a very funny story about that. I have a friend of mine who worked on the uh, holographic Tupac with, um, I believe it was Weta or Digital Domain. It was you know, a big, big visual effects company. So they did a they did a body scan of a Tupac impersonator who... Right. Oh, I thought you were going to say like Tupac they, in they, his grave. They zoomed him. Well, so this, this impersonator is like same height, same build, got all the same tattoos. It's like a Tupac super fan and has such a like striking resemblance to Tupac that there was very little that they needed to do with this, except his voice was very high pitched. It's all wrong. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, no, you have everything, dude. You could, you have everything, but the one. Except for the Mike Tyson voice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> except for the voice. Yeah. Too bad. But you know, Visually, you're Tupac. Audio-wise, though, we need some, we need to get some more people. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is always the problem with like with with uh, celebrity impersonators is that like they they'll have one or the other, but rarely. It's always both. the one thing, right? It's always the one thing that's off, and you're just like, ah, oh, man, too yeah. bad, huh? I have an ex who was really really into Indiana Jones, and he 
based, he became an Indiana Jones impersonator, and he actually had a, no a pretty way. striking resemblance, except that his head was really small. No. So no. like the so he would get like the replica hats and they just looked enormous oh, no. on him because his head was so small. Because you, you just need like a magnifying glass in front of your face. <laughs> you yeah, it needs like a magnifying glass at all times, or like and the hat is scaled, and then you're always doing the scene where you're swapping out the you know the idle head with the with the um the bag, but you scale those down too. Right, yeah. Right. Or exactly. Or, <laughs> or the impersonator just always stands above you, so it's a forced perspective thing. Mm-hmm. So you're looking up as like, oh, the head is small because it's far away. Yeah, like, that's right. <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, he was he was a good uh, he was a good Indiana Jones impersonator. Besides the small ha- head, you can't do anything about that. That your head's just small. I, I just I struggle to kind of figure out what's the what can you do with that market wise? Are you doing birthday parties? You do birthday you know parties. I mean? Like for kids. Yeah, for kids. Like children who are Indiana Jones fans. Yes. And I bet there's a market for Indiana Jones themed strippers. That's hot. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Like like I mean I mean listen, we've all seen Temple of Doom, that, that shirt wide open, that bare Harrison Ford chest. Like listen. He had to like get buff for that because he was not that buff in the first film. <laughs> and that's all the time we have for Topic Lords today. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was. Agreed. Uh, April, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on Twitter at AprilSore. And Freddie, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, that ship that ship is sailed. I'm everyone knows where I'm at, but I'm at F Wong on Twitter. It's not like I can stop that flood anymore. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was a lot of fun, Freddie. It was Do you don't even plug yourself? Oh, people anybody who's listening to this podcast knows who I am. Dang, dang, the power. Listen, he's a CEO. That's right. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.